to welcome to uh, QAV, Doug Morris, the CEO of ShareSite. Uh, those of you who aren't familiar with ShareSite, it's a, a portfolio tracker, basically, for Australian investors. Uh, Doug's accent, nonetheless. Uh, you're not from around these here parts, Captain Morris. Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, sorry to disappoint with my rather grating Midwestern American accent. I'm, uh, I'm from Chicago originally. Um, well, I went to school in Texas, uh, spent some time in Paris as a student, but I've been in, I've been in Sydney since 2007. So I'm a, uh, I'm a dual citizen, which means I can make fun of both Americans and Australians at the same time. <laughs> Join the club. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not, but I'm married to an American, so I think that gives me the right to make fun of Americans. <laughs> it's, it's, e- it's, it's easy pickings these days. So before we get into the share side story, tell us about your story. What brought you to uh, this part of the world? Mm, sure. So I joined a an international business development program with my employer uh, back in 2007, who was uh, Morningstar at the time, the investment research uh, house. So they were looking for, for young guys to sort of join up and uh, help kind of spread the business, I suppose, around the world. Um, and so I was given the option of moving to Toronto or to Sydney. And being from Chicago, there was no way I was going to move to Toronto. So I picked Sydney and uh, I've been down here ever since. So my background with them is um, in sort of biz dev, but also in product management. So helping to kind of commercialize their equity and credit research uh, business units. Um, and so I did that globally. Um, and I did that locally here to, to dealer groups and IFAs and family offices as well. Um, and I, uh, along the way, made a few connections. And um, in 2013, I agreed to join uh, ShareSite then as, as general manager uh, and was promoted to CEO in 2015, where I'm an investor as well. Um, so that's kind of how I, how I got here, I suppose. <laughs> is ShareSite a US company or is it an Australian company, though? It's actually neither. ShareSite's a oh. Kiwi company. Oh, so okay. ShareSite was started by a father and son. Uh, happy to get into kind of the founding story if you guys like. But um, it was founded by a father and son in, in Wellington. Um, they gained a little bit of traction in New Zealand and then in Australia as well. The former CEO of Morningstar Australasia, uh, who was a gentleman by the name of Andrew Bird, he started a company called Aspect Financial, merged mm-hmm. that with Aspect Huntley, Huntley's newsletters, which you guys probably know. Um, they were acquired by Morningstar, uh, which is how I got to know Andrew. He was the CEO and I was, I was working there. Um, he then exited and found ShareSite, invested in the company, and then brought me along with to run it, basically. So it's, uh, it's actually a father and son team from, from Wellington who started it, even though it's sort of crawling with people like myself and, and other people from around the world these days. Is the Kiwi connection how you got linked with Zero, or is there some Indeed. other story? There? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we actually um, through you know New Zealand's a pretty small place, especially in uh, in Wellington, and mm. uh, there was a mutual connection with the the founding uh, team, the father and son, with with Rod Drury, and they were kind of just shooting the breeze one day, and and they mm. mentioned to Rod that um, you know they were thinking of starting this cloud based share tracker, which at the time the the cloud based phenomenon was was pretty novel. And he said, oh, no way. I'm working on a cloud-based accounting system. And we've got this kind of philosophy on, you know, having this constellation of apps and, and an ecosystem of, of add-ons. And we were one of the first add-ons ever in, in the Zero marketplace, actually. So, you know, we, we really got a boost in the early days from our association with Zero, And we, we continue to today as well. Yeah, good. So uh, there are other portfolio trackers out there. And uh, some people are, uh, will use Stock Doctor, which is another tool that we recommend and use. 
and there's a portfolio service and that. What's the elevator pitch to uh, to someone to use uh, your your platform rather than somebody else's? Yeah, sure. So essentially, we focus only on the tracking and the admin of portfolios. We we operate a SaaS business, software as a service, with a freemium model. So basically, there's a free version you can try. If you like what you see, you can upgrade, and that's that's it. All, all of our revenue comes from subscription revenue from selling the tracking software. We don't provide broking services or research or tips of any kind. Um, we just think the software is good enough that people will pay a, a modest amount for it. And, and that's how we operate the business. Um, we focus on data aggregation. So you can link in um, as many brokers as you use to get all your trading history into the software. We focus on performance analytics. And then we, we also provide the tax reporting as well. So in that respect, we, uh, we sort of sit alongside you know, some of the reporting uh, features you might find on a wrap or a platform, yet we've sort of stripped that out. and we, We're offering that to, to DIY investors uh, specifically. Do they have to link to zero or, or can you be independent of zero running share size? No, totally independent. So um, about uh, 15 or 20% of our, of our user base link to zero, but no, the systems work independently of one another. But for, you know, if you're an SMSF trustee with a, with a hands-on uh, approach to your portfolio, it is a really good connection because you can send through all the trades and dividends and everything else just comes right through. And all the reconciliation is, is done on the, uh, on the zero side. Mm, I have to say I'm a, I'm a user and a convert. I started, we started with zero maybe three or four years ago because funnily enough, I was living in Toronto and uh, my bookkeeper was still in Australia. So it was really a nice repository to track everything mm. in. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah, earlier this year, we started using share, uh, ShareSide as well and it's, it's worked well for us. Oh, it's good. Right. oh thanks. Yeah. Appreciate that. What about uh, data from overseas? So if, if I had mm. some US shares, for example, can, how does ShareSide handle that? Yeah, so we track about 30, I think it's just above 30 now, 30 global stock exchanges around the world. So we'll track the NYSE, the NASDAQ, the Amex, the Pink Sheets, all the, uh, all the major North American and European and most of the major Asian exchanges as well. Um, so our focus really, we, 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 we've got really good traction and penetration in the Australian self-directed investment market, but where we're also quite strong is kind of sort of an expat community. You know, you can imagine there's people in Hong Kong who have a professional services background in New York or Sydney. Uh, therefore, we kind of have to have all those global data sets to, uh, to cater to that crowd as well. And in addition to, to manage funds in a few of those key markets too. Yeah, right. So, so you, given that you're catering for that kind of market, there, is there a minimum size portfolio that you would recommend that someone has to have before the service is worthwhile? No, no, not at all. Um, so we don't charge on asset-based fees or anything like that. So it's a flat subscription price, similar to a you know like a Netflix or a Spotify, really. Um, and what we find is if you look at our kind of our our user base by by age, uh, you'll find kind of a clustering of young investors, sort of beginning their investment journey. These are you know millennial investors, known as the, the Robin Hood, <laughs> the Robin Hood crowd. Dare I dare I use that phrase? Um, superhero, but, you know, obviously. Well, yeah, superhero. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know they're comfortable online. They, they they're sort of conditioned to look for solutions like ShareSide online, so it serves their purposes. Uh, they like to hang out on the free plan. We'll show performance. We'll do some of their tax form as well. Um, and then we have a, a most of our paid base though is toward the higher net worth um, end of the investment spectrum. And so typically, what you might find there um, in Australia anyway is somebody you know running their SMSF on ShareSite um, that might be linked to zero, or they have the accountants in there as well. Come come tax time. Um, they're tracking usually two to three investment entities um, per client on there as well. And the, the median portfolio size is about half a million dollars. So 
if you think it's two or three portfolios, you're sort of north of a million dollars in, in terms of um, you know invested assets for a typical Australian customer on ShareSide. Right, and that's one of the good things I like about ShareSide is the consolidation feature. Yeah, indeed. So the we do make it a point to make it easy to kind of get your data in and then run consolidated reports for kind of an overall wealth view mm. as well. Yeah. Yeah, so consolidation is a really handy feature, I think, especially for me. It helps me to produce reports like what the compound growth is for the portfolio over yeah. time. Uh, so that's that's really useful, and and that's um, that's important to me because uh, you know I track it against other benchmarks, which is which is good. And uh, you know I've been doing it manually myself, so it's quite quite simple to yeah. use. Yeah, most most of our of our converse have come from uh, come from spreadsheets. Actually, I think it's around seventy yeah. percent of people, um, which you know which is difficult sometimes to kind of market to people who are used to an offline solution. But um, once they come across, we also find that they sort of like to quietly maintain their spreadsheet in parallel as well, which oh, is yeah. fine. You know, that's, that's, that's totally cool. You need to, um, we, we, yeah. we do quite well with kind of the, the software engineer or the, the, the medical doctor crowd. And they like to kind of have a hands-on approach to their data, which. Well, I think it's, I think the, the, what we, what we, this is our second run at trying to find a platform to, to track our performance with and, and track our tax, et cetera, with the first time we use somebody else and I won't say who they are. But both times we kept running the spreadsheets manually in parallel, just to parallel test things. And the other crowd fell over really badly. And I was really glad that we kept the, the, the spreadsheets going. So uh, we, we turned off the spreadsheets um, at the end of the financial year this year with ShareSite because it's working well for us. Although the, the good thing about Share, ShareSite is the compound growth calculation for the end of the last financial year was 2% higher than the spreadsheet. <laughs> there, <so>. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, if you can just get in there and give it a tweak again next year, that'd be yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, well, we, and, and you can always export data into a spreadsheet as well. I mean, we we do take a very open kind of ecosystem view towards everything. It's kind of the anti-platform play, right? We you know, we don't yeah. want to be in a walled garden. You can put in the assets you want, take what you want out, combine brokers, et cetera. So. For our audience, we run a demo dummy portfolio. I was wondering, Doug, if I put that, and we, I just run it on a Google sheet that mm. is, you know, that our subscribers can see. So we have full transparency of, of what we're doing. If, um, if I put that into share site, can I share that with share site? Can I make <laughs> it public? You can. Yeah. So we, right. we can talk about that offline if you'd like, but we do have a feature in the software where you can share a portfolio with as many people as you like. So all you need is an email and you just, it sends off an invite and they can view it. And uh, in this case, it sounds like it'd be a read only. So you can make it read only for them. And, uh, and you can, you can broadcast that out to as many people as you like. All right. So I can just publish a URL for our subscribers. Go, if you want to see our portfolio, have a look at this. Um, you can't do that at this time. Although we actually do have that functionality, but it's sort of not public, but we can actually, if you want to talk more about that, we could actually do that for you. <laughs> um, mm. Or you could just share access individually with with those email addresses yeah with thousands of people that's going to be a little bit sort of yeah well then we can, messy and complicated. we can talk about the uh the, the url if, if that's yeah that's the secret yeah. yeah the secret sure. yeah the back door we'll yeah, do, yeah. give me a back door job don't <laughs> yeah <laughs> the dark share side yeah 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 <laughs> yeah all right sorry tony i didn't mean to interrupt no that's okay well you've raised the question one of the one of the things that uh, make life complicated for the dummy portfolio that we run is Every now and then something gets taken over, there's a special dividend, there's a return of capital. It's almost like uh, there's as many ways you can think of meddling with a share portfolio, some company will think of another one to, to make it more complicated. So 
and and I think one of the things that has always steered me away from platforms and towards Excel is that I can do those special dividends or takeovers myself. So how does ShareSite handle those one-off situations? Yeah, yeah it's it's a good question. The 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 tail is very long of the corporate actions, right? That you have to worry about as an investor. Uh, it seems simple at first, but it's it gets pretty gnarly. And especially if you think about, you know, you can go back 20 years in time on ShareSite. So um, it is very important that we give people the ability to edit those corporate actions themselves. And so the, the approach we take is we automate what we can, right? So splits, name changes, basic consolidations, things like that, we'll, we'll do automatically for customers. Um, and we'll, we'll alert you when that happens. But when there's an, what we call an unhandled corporate event that comes along, you know, where, where the investor might have to make an election, right, as to what he does, we will um, typically publish some blogs and some help articles about kind of what's going on with links to the actual official documentation. And then we'll point you to which tool you can use inside the software. Is it a return of capital? Is it a special dividend? Is it a, you know, a demerger? We have tools and wizards for all of that. Uh, and we'll step people through uh, each one. And, and our, in our cases, as we onboard you know, more and more customers, they always go back in time to recreate those portfolios. And so that means we get a little bit better each time when people ask us, oh, hey, that nasty Westfield thing that happened a couple of years ago, or the Sydney airport one, that's one that never goes away, right? Um, and so we kind of refine our documentation for people as we move forward. So um, yeah, we do give people the ability to do that stuff if they're capable or the accountants. That's good. And we've had some experience with that. I mean, the Elisa Gold takeover that we had to manage for the dummy portfolio cam, we were able to talk to someone from ShareSide who talked us through how to handle it yeah. um, in our portfolio, which was good, good service. Yeah. So, I mean, that's corporate activity. What about currency uh, moves and, and tax reporting if there's different jurisdictions? How does ShareSide handle those things? Yeah, currency is a big one. And it's one of those things where currency is sort of, it's a bit in the eye of the beholder, right? Are you talking about currency because you're investing in foreign markets? Are you talking about, actual Forex holdings as a investment right. position? Are you talking about a cash holder, right? Um, we do all of those things quite well. Um, so we have daily exchange rates from a provider. So we track the currency conversion on the way in and the way out of the investment. And we'll do so every day along the, the journey as well. So we can show you the impact of foreign currency on that particular holding, whether it's you know adding to it or, or detracting from it. Um, we're just about to release a new feature, uh, multi-currency valuation report that'll show you kind of a comparative, on a comparative basis, what your portfolio is worth in, you know, currency A versus currency B, for example. Um, as we have a lot of investors say in the States or in Canada who have, you know, foreign currency holdings cross border. It's very common in the UK and across the, the European Union as well. So, uh, we do, we do, um, provide features for that stuff, but it is, but it is, um, it is quite complex, actually, mm. when you kind of open the bottom of this stuff. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's almost as complex as the stock market. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, you just reminded me there to mention the fact that we can, I can also consolidate my bank accounts live into the share site portfolio, so I get a total picture as well. Do mm. I need do I need a zero account to do that, or can I do it standalone? Yeah. So, if, in your case, what we'd recommend there, um, if you have a zero account or your your accountant has a zero account with you. When you sync the two systems together, you can pull back in the banks, the bank feeds, the bank accounts right into ShareSite. So you can have your share portfolio, right? That's coming in from the broker. Yeah. And then as a separate, you know, line item in that portfolio, you can have, say, um, you know, your your 
whatever, ComSec, CDIA, cash, mm. cash management account or something like that. So long as you have that uh, set up with zero, we'll read that information back. Yeah, yeah that's, that's how we're doing it too. Mm. So you need to be in zero for that. You can't do it standalone. There's a couple of other ways you can you can handle cash with ShareSite. So we also have a direct um, integration with Macquarie CMAs. Now that's for our professional audience. Macquarie doesn't make those accounts available to the to the retail audience, unfortunately. Um, or we have a cash feature as a standalone feature in the product where you can create a cash account and you can right. you know, give it a balance, give it a currency, add transactions. You can also oh. sync that to your buying and selling and your dividend activity. Mm -hmm. So okay. it kind of acts as a proxy inside the software for what's happening inside the bank as well. And it, without sort of boring you to death, the, the world of bank feeds and, 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 and getting access to that transactional data from banks is really, really difficult. And it's, it's mm. almost another business unto itself. In fact, that's how Zero was built. Um, mm. And it's kind of an area we sort of let others do like Zero because they do it really well. That's really good. Zero, zero is an impressive accounting package, and we can invest in that ourselves as stock market investors in zero on the stock exchange. Is that is ShareSite listed somewhere, or is it a private company? No, we're not, uh, not yet, anyway. Uh, <laughs> it could be that uh, you know down the track, given the nature of what we do, you know, we provide a service for share market investors. Uh, I, I personally see that as a as sort of a nice and, and sort of serendipitous way to kind of take the next step, you know, for for the product. We have sort of engaged in, in similar activity though. So we've raised capital, um, uh, we raised it in March of this year and we raised it last in 2015. We actually did so uh, by inviting our own customers into the process. So we ran a little bit of a, of a crowdfund, uh, if you like, amongst our own user base. And that was a, a really successful result because it just kind of helps build that alignment between the user base and, and kind of where we want to take the business really. Yeah, it's pretty hard to move off the platform if you've got shares in the business. <laughs> That's, <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, uh, That's good. So, so speaking of the, the business itself, I mean, it's an impressive product now. How, what, at what stage of its life cycle or development do you see it as? Is it is it early stage yet? Yeah, you know what? Well, you can't classify it as early stage anymore because the truth is is that the the father and son team, Tony and Scott, they first uh, they first launched the product back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, actually. So that was the first cut of the software for New Zealand investors. And it's undergone you know, a lot of change and some, some overhaul since then, obviously. Um, but they really ran it as a very small business with, um, as a technical business. It's, it's always been a product-led business. So it wasn't until more recently where we actually raised enough capital to build up a proper marketing team and to really kind of give it a go. So we're kind of on that um, sort of hockey stick of the adoption curve uh, and long may it last. Um, and uh, so it's, it's kind of the most exciting time um, that, that I've experienced at ShareSite in, in my seven years here. So we're, you know, we're about 35 staff now and we're just, we're just about on uh, 200,000 users as well. And that's growing very, very fast. So um, yeah, so it's a pretty exciting phase for us really. What, what sort of planned developments can we expect from ShareSite in the near future? Yeah, so one of the areas we're focusing on a lot is, um, I think, just, just overall usability. So one of the things that, that it remains a, a challenge and an opportunity for us is the whole fact that people don't have an alternative. Like most people do this stuff in a spreadsheet, right? And most people, they have assets with broker A, broker B, maybe on a platform, what have you. We really want to make that user experience really slick. And we want to get to a point where we're really, really, really proficient at the onboarding experience. So we want to enable you to kind of add in all of your assets to track on ShareSite. So it's that aggregation play that we see is really mm -hmm. important. Um, and definitely we'll be focusing on kind of what we call the expert plan area as well. So that's kind of that higher end of our of our self-directed investor offering, 
Um, I think you can expect more advanced performance reporting and analytics there with benchmarking, uh, maybe mm. some risk uh, analysis stuff. And, and a feature that's come up um, in a survey as, as probably the most popular, and this is no kind of promises that we'll build it, is, is more custom reporting as well. You know, investors have a, a particular way they want to view the, the kind of the, the setup. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll probably be looking into that area uh, in, in the new year as well. Yeah, cool. I mean, I, I, I have this sort of view of a product like ShareSite maybe 10 years out where it's almost AI-driven where, you know, every week you get a, an email saying, hey, dummy, you should have sold that share last week or it's outside your, your guidelines for how you want to invest or something like that. Is that coming? Absolutely. There, there, you know, we have, we have enough of a, of a user base now where the, the, the system can be really smart. You know what I mean? If we, if we sort of trained our attention on that. And I think, um, you know, AI, I, I don't want to be the, the tech CEO banding about terms like AI because often those are misused. But, but I actually do think there's quite an opportunity for us there as well. Um, and if you think about kind of, you know, we are taking the same approach as zero, right? So we have our own API. We have about 25 or 30 API partners connecting into ShareSite. So brokers and small fund managers, but there are some other kind of fintech applications in there as well that, you know, you could imagine, um, you know, a, a startup broker or somebody kind of trying to identify opportunities, you know, connecting to your ShareSite account and it can kind of read your portfolio and give you tips mm. and suggestions, you know, and you are in control of that, right? So you'd be authorizing the access right. and running that yourself. Yeah. And likewise, as you say, there's a user group. So I imagine that's a marketable commodity to, you know, a Price Waterhouse or a KPMG to come in and provide tax service, you know, on mass for a cheap price yep. or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's opportunity for that as well. Um, and so, so three of the big four are already using ShareSite in their own right for their own high net worth clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and they extract a lot of data from our API and they put it inside their own reports or their own software, for example. So, yeah. If you have a large user group and say we're just talking maybe about one set of that like self-managed super funds, could you anonymize the data and say like the average super fund is this big and its return last year was this and it's got a breakdown of allocation of assets that looks like this pie chart sort of thing? Absolutely. So we already do that now. If you go to the ShareSite blog, you'll see that we on a weekly basis show kind of top 10 buys and sells and, and various patterns and trends. That's all done on anonymized data. So the, so just to be clear, the people who produce those charts have no idea where that data comes from. It's all totally anonymized. Um, but yeah, I think we could get to a stage where, you know, with the, the power of our user base, you could almost opt yourself into a cohort, perhaps even investors like you, right? And you could kind of build an anonymized benchmark to understand kind of where you fit in terms of investors with, similar investing characteristics right, yeah. as yourself. I think that's a really exciting yeah. area. And that's probably an area we need to hire some really smart data scientists in to figure out how to do it. Yeah, right. Or even even get our QAV users onto it to form a group. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah, cool. So the question I always ask someone like yourself um, is, you know, how do you invest and what kind of um, journey have you had and what kind of returns do you get? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, I'm a kind of a a long-term investor, given my age, I'm, I'm 39. I've uh, got two little kids, bought a house recently. So I, I, uh, <laughs> my ability to invest at the moment is not as great as I'd like it to be. Um, but my, my philosophy is, is pretty much core satellite. So I like to keep kind of a bedrock of blue chip shares or ETFs, right? Mm-hmm. That I kind of set and forget. 
Um, and then I kind of make more strategic satellite plays and I am hopelessly overweight technology. My, my wife works at Google and I run a tech startup. So we are, we are, we are leveraged to the hilt when it comes to, uh, to, to our tech play as a, as a family here in the Morris household. Um, but I do love investing in, in tech companies because I do feel like I understand them. Right. So, uh, I really like the software as a service space, the SaaS space. So I, I, I've owned zero for a number of years, for example. I like the company Workday, certainly Zoom. Um, companies that I kind of understand and I, I like to use uh, to invest in companies where, where we use the products as well. Um, you know, so when I read the annual report, I kind of really can put myself you know, inside the, the CEO's office and understand that business. So um, yeah, so my returns, I suppose my, my annualized return is sitting at about 36% Ooh. right now on, on ShareSite, wow. which, which I'm pretty happy yeah. with. Um, that um, there's also a pretty strong flavor of some of the, the Chinese tech names in there, the Alibaba's, the Tencent's. Although, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty nervous about some of the, uh, the political activity over there in terms, you know, the stopping that IPO mm. for Ant Group, for example, that, that sort of set a chill mm. down my spine. Mm. So I may, I may have to recalibrate my portfolio <laughs> and buy some Microsoft instead. <laughs> yeah, cool. That's great. So um, I did have a look. Doug, at a report that uh, you guys put out just recently, sort of a 2020 uh, insights report. And I wanted to ask you uh, a couple of questions about what you guys have seen over the seven or eight years you've been in the business in terms of trends in Mm -hmm. uh, investing in Australia. One of the things I saw in this report is it says new investors are increasingly women do you have any insights behind why that might be? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that came from that data point came from the ASX and some of the work we've done with them on on um, you know sort of assessing the market. And I think it was forty five percent of the new entrants into the market were women for the last twelve months, which um, is much higher than it's been historically. Um, in fact, if you look at the split of of customers on ShareSite, it's it's kind of seventy thirty skewed towards males. Um, so I think it's really exciting, uh, cause there's a whole bunch of people in the population who, you know, who, who, who ought to be investing basically. Um, I don't necessarily know why that is, um, to be honest with you. I think some of the things cited by the ASX were a basic lack of trust in traditional financial services, you know, be they, you know, bank aligned dealer groups or wraps or platforms or things like that. Um, and no doubt some of the findings from the Royal Commission sort of helped keep uh, women investors um, at bay. Um, so that, that is one thing that we are seeing. Um, but also, I think investor participation levels are just just increasing across the board, right? So especially with younger investors as well. So no doubt that's, that's increasing the share of female investors as well. So I think it's a great thing. Right. So had in this report that Australian investors view financial advice positively. That's, that's an interesting finding. I found that... Um, Interesting as well. So we have a we have a professional edition of ShareSite as well that's used mostly by IFAs and family offices and accounting firms. So we kind of we kind of have a, a, a biased look at that part of the market. And what we see there are really good advisors who are charging fee for service, right? They're building model portfolios and they're low cost, you know, ETFs and shares. Um, so those guys, from what we see, do the right thing by their clients. You know, they're inviting the client into the portfolio to take them on the journey. It's very transparent. Which is sort of the antithesis of the the vertically integrated, you know, platform bank world. So, but yeah, I, I was surprised by those findings as well. Um, 
you know, I think certainly there's still a need for advice out there. You know, the question is, do people trust the, the industry enough to go back and, and find some? And how do they find a good advisor from a bad one? Well, I think, yeah, I think there's that. But I think there's there's a couple of wrinkles which are going to happen before the Hain Commission comes to conclusion because the, well, it's been postponed now, but it was meant to have come in by now where you had to have a university degree and a certain amount of time in the industry before you could give advice. The financial advisors who you were talking about who offer um, bespoke advice are charging hmm. at least $5,000 at the first meetings because they have to produce legally a statement of, of um, position for the, for the new client so they can show they understand them. Uh, and, and all of those things, are, and, and the fact that the Hain Commission wants to rule out the vertically integrated model, although that's still up for debate, uh, there's, there's a whole majority, I think, of the population who are, who are going to be locked out of financial advice unless a change is made. Now, they keep talking about robo-advice, but no one's cracked that egg yet. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one to crack. I mean, I, I really like the spirit of robo-advice. We, we have a, um, a couple of robo-advice partners who use our software for their own reporting. Um, I, I love that. I love that concept. But, you know, yeah, I mean, there's been some very, very large investments made in robo overseas as well. Those businesses are very large. Um, I'm not sure if they're turning a profit yet. I haven't looked recently, but you know, you can kind of do the math and you need to manage a lot of assets to make that business um, profitable. So and it'd be quite interesting to see what's going to happen on the robo space as the vanguards and the Schwabs kind of move into the, to the $0 uh, mm-hmm. robo kind of, uh, world with you know packaged ETFs and things like that, so it's it's quite an interesting space. Yeah, and the problem is at the moment is they still even in the robo space as it stands, they still have to get that statement of position worked out, which is a, a right. you know, three that's to right. five thousand dollar exercise even for a robo advisor. That's right. I, that's where I really see like robo, you know, is kind of the bedrock investment strategy for people as mm-hmm. they kind of go on their journey. You know, hopefully at some point there's a need for share site if there's more discretionary investing happening. But then there's, you know, household budgeting requirements and, you know, there's all kinds of different services that can kind of join together on this stuff. Yeah. Um, really like an app store kind of play. That's, that's kind of how I see it playing out. Um, hopefully that's helped by uh, initiatives like open banking. But I still think it comes back to education, consumer and investor education way back from like, you know, high school days, honestly. So Yeah, there's a bit of a gap there, isn't there? We've, we've bemoaned that fact as well. But I also think there's a, there's a space in the market well, I think it could be filled one of two ways. I think the government could open up the future fund to your, I call them basic investors. So the people who should be mm-hmm. investing in like an ETF product at slow fees. So you just take sure. your money and go straight into, into the future fund. And the fees are the lowest in the market if zero. And you're not going to lights out, but it's going to be safe and you can retire off it. That's one way to go. The other way to go is for someone to basically set that up as a process and then sell it to people for a very cheap amount, like the Kmart type of financial advice where it doesn't matter what your statement of position is. You come to us, we'll you know, set you up in a super fund. It's going to invest in an ETF and that's it. And and the yep. fees are going to be very close to zero as well. Yeah, it's sort of like you know the, the ING bank account model of, hmm. of, of super fund investing perhaps, right? Yeah, so. no, exactly, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's it'll be interesting to see how it uh, rolls out. And and it's also counter, there's going to be a couple of um, counterintuitive things. Like when I talk to people in the industry, I, I hear overwhelmingly that the best financial advisors and wealth planners in the industry tend to be the grey-haired old men, people like myself who, you know, are in their 50s, who've seen it all, who've been through recessions, 
and uh, and they give the best advice because they're talking from experience. Uh, but we're the ones who are going to be exited from the industry because we don't have the university degree and we don't have the qualifications that the government's looking for. So right, yeah, yeah that is. It is interesting. I remember my days with Morningstar, you know, all the research, fundamental research was great from the analysts. Most of the analysts were, you know, younger um, people. And when I say people, in this case, our clients were professional investors. They really wanted the gray hair overlay, you know, kind of that, just tell me what's going to happen in your best, you know, your best assessment as to what you, what you think is going on Correct. here. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a lot of value in that experience editorial overlay, I think in this. Yeah. And it's not just, it's not just what's going to happen. It's, it's like, uh, we were talking about tech stocks before, like, uh, and I know you're all in with tech stocks, but a gray-haired old man might say, well, you know, I've seen that bubble before and sure, have an exposure to it, but you might want to also consider something else as well. Yeah, they don't pay any dividends either. Yeah, well, there so. you go, yeah. yeah. You, can't <laughs> right. you can't retire with them unless you're celib- yeah, celebrating exactly, Chile. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, getting back to insights before we wrap up then, Doug, um, what what are you seeing across the board? With you've got a very large user base, a lot of data flowing through. You must be seeing some interesting trends emerge. You got anything you can uh, thrill us with? We are, yeah. So in the years that I've been at ShareSite, we've seen um, a few things kind of emerge as I guess durable trends. One of those is ETF usage. So that's gone from single digit percentages to right up to about twenty percent of. Of Australian portfolios own ETFs now. Um, I think the number overseas in the States is like 60 or 70% um, mm. because they've kind of replaced mutual funds, managed funds over there in, in all respect, in, in all due respects. Um, so that's definitely a trend that's, that's kind of continuing its march. Um, another trend is definitely more of an allocation towards overseas stocks. So again, that was four or 5% of your average SMSF trustees portfolio. That's really increased up to around 20, 25% of, of those portfolios um, as well. Um, I think that's that's held back a bit, of course, by the dividends and, and franking credits that that trustees you know rely on uh, locally. Uh, but that's certainly uh, increased um, as well. And I guess the, a more I guess uh, uh, immediate trend is the, the the absolute ravenous appetite that investors seem to have for the buy now, pay later stocks, which if you have a look at our charts, typically top the the, the most active by by buyers and sellers. Um, that that surprised me. You know, I mean, I, I get why those things are popular, but even amongst say an SMS tru- SMSF trustee using ShareSite to be to be buying and selling uh, companies like Afterpay, Sezzle, yeah. are uh, it's quite interesting. I find <laughs> it is interesting, isn't it? Especially in SMSFs, which are meant to be you know solid, safe, there for your retirement. Yeah. Yeah. What else um, in the year of COVID have you seen? Because we, we've, I've, we've seen with our user base that's grown this year. Seems to be a lot of people taking uh, investing more seriously yeah. this year than they did last year. What have you seen COVID doing to investors? Yeah. So I guess um, you know, I guess I feel quite guilty about this, but COVID has been good for our business. Um, it's created a lot more signups, um, say on a year on year basis at share site. So it's, it's definitely showing demand for share market investing. Um, and I think it also speaks to sort of, you know, there's all this cash kind of sitting on the sidelines, right? Whether it's people 
they can't find a yield anywhere else, or they're not able to buy a home or something like that. Um, it just seems like that cash COVID and the dip that the market took there in March was finally the uh, the impetus for people to come pouring into the market. So so we have we have indeed seen that. Um, we reckon about a third of our of our new signups during that time um, were kind of younger investors just getting started. Um, so that that's been a trend that we've seen. Um, and and their portfolios look dramatically different from say your your average SMSF trustee portfolio, uh, which which is uh, you know very tech dominated for the younger folks and and more stable for the older ones, except for those buy now pay later yeah. shares. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? We I, I went uh, along to the online ASA shareholder association um, conference, and one of the speakers there was talking about the domination of the workforce by millennials, which is getting close to a peak. Uh, so I, I imagine you'll start to see more and more of that come through with, with their share ownership, really, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. Look, I mean, I'm I'm 39. I'm actually a millennial. Yeah, right. There, <laughs> I say it. So I'm the I'm the oldest millennial. Um, I, re- I remind I remind my board of directors about that during board meetings when they you know sometimes uh, uh, have not generous things to say about millennials. I kind of raise my hand and say, "Hey, guys, don't forget that your uh, your CEO is indeed a millennial." So. <laughs> But yeah, no. I mean, I'm 39. I'll be 40 next year, and I'm a millennial. So that it's it's you know the demo the demographic right. is aging, right? So yeah, that's very interesting, isn't it? So you talked before about the cash holdings because of or well, either due, due to COVID or people coming on with cash holdings around the time of COVID. Uh, is the cash holdings higher this year than it was last year, or has it reduced? Really, it is. Yeah, it is. Uh, we still see quite a bit of cash sitting on the sidelines, if you can believe it or not. So I think. What you saw was when the market did its did its real steep dive in March. You saw a lot of new entrants to the market. You saw a lot of purchasing stocks that finally people considered um, fairly valued or even you know undervalued. Um, and I don't know. I sort of assumed that. Well, I guess all assumptions made in March have probably turned out to be wrong by most of us. But uh, uh, I thought that that might have kind of absorbed all the cash and kind of get people. Kind of fully invested back into the market, but honestly, I think that this this pandemic has really, really right. frightened people. And um, I, I still see when we look at our data, a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines. Um, and when I talk to you know sort of professionals that that I you know respect and read and things like that, I mean, it, I don't know if there's still a, a high degree of skepticism about what's going to happen um, in the world, really. Yeah, I've seen some research which basically said that when when COVID hit and we started to come out of it, it was the institutional investors selling down to the retail investors. And so there's a lot of cash in the institutional funds too. But gee, that would be a great tool or a great marketing tool for you if you had some kind of barometer of how much cash is sitting on the sidelines. I totally agree with you. In fact, I had that discussion actually with with some of our marketers. I have in my mind just like a speedometer kind of thing, right? Like how invested are we? What's the sentiment basically, right? The weight of money. Exactly. That's a really important thing if you're an investor. If there's lots of money on the sideline, it's going to fly back into the market in the future. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we like to think too, again, that we skew towards that kind of knowledgeable self-directed investor with a decent sized portfolio. So, you know, I think it's meaningful if we see a lot of cash on the sidelines, Mm -hmm. which we do. You know, that, that might mean something to people who are mm. looking for insights. Yeah, it does. It also plays a role in the returns that people are getting. We we had a guest um, whose name we shall not mention a few weeks ago on the show who was telling, telling us about his recent investing success and his returns on his share investments were very, very good. But then he told us later on in the conversation that majority of his uh, – 
portfolio was sitting in cash. Mm. So having a you know getting a seventy or an eighty percent return on your share investments is great, but not if ninety percent of your investable capital is sitting in cash doing nothing. Yeah. So people on one hand they're getting excited about BNPL and they're enjoying the massive returns, but if on the other hand they're leaving a big chunk mm. of their capital in cash, it yeah. sort of indicates that you know, they're, they're not really confident that this is going to keep, the gravy train's going to keep going on. This isn't, they're not investing because they genuinely believe that this is a long-term healthy business who, that's, whose shares are undervalued. It's a, it's a FOMO investing strategy. Let's hold on for mm. as long as we can. Absolutely. But let's, let's keep a lot, of, a lot of our capital in cash because we, we believe it's going to fall off the edge of a cliff at some point. That's right. And if you're an experienced investor with a bit of gray hair and, and you've been through a few of these things before, and you're looking at some of the valuations of these tech companies, I mean, I, you know, sure, maybe for a, a slice of satellite play, but going in all in on, on some of these things, I, I, I don't think would stack up if you're kind of using any kind of rigor in your, in your investment decision-making process. Mm. <laughs> so. Well, we've, we've tried over, well, mm. it's been two years now. We've had growth investors and tech investors come on the show and Tony's asked them, well, talk me through your valuation methodology for these stocks. How do you determine what it's worth, what to pay for it, what price you're going to sell it at, et cetera? And there's a lot of um, gobbledygook about, well, we like their customer service model and, you know, it's just, it's growing, you know, and there's a big world and 1% of 7 billion people is a lot of people and all the usual, you know, I'm a, I'm a dot comma from uh, the late 90s. I mean, this stuff, you know, everyone was using the same slide deck back in the, <laughs> in the late 90s. Yeah. One, one, per, 1% of 7 billion people is all we need to get. It's a lot of business. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and, and they've changed the but, term. So it's addressable market now rather than eyeballs. And it's oh, soft, well that sounds, software as a service yeah. rather than .com. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it sounds much more grown up and mature <laughs> yeah. and safe. Yeah. But I wonder if getting 100% return on a BNPL with, with 10 or 20% of your capital is as good as getting a 20% return on 100% of your capital. You guys are much smarter than me. Anyone tell me what the maths looks like on that? Doing the weighted maths in my head is going to, is going to um, mean that I've been correct. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the thing that I think about there, though, is what amount of time and what amount of stress are you thinking about that 100% return from that 10% allocation, right? Like, you know, people are busy. And, and I don't think people do a good enough job of, of valuing their own time. So, I mean, you got to kind of calibrate the impact on your lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's certainly a, a good question, Cam, and it's been debated. And people like Taleb, who wrote The Black Swan, said, you know, uh, adopt a strategy of having 95% in government bonds and 5% in the most riskiest asset they can find. And, and that's that's the way he invests. But then you've got on the other side of things like we we heard in the in you know over recent weeks and in the past, and what Buffett says is that when what Kelly says is put you should put your investment where the highest return is, right? So if you are getting fifty percent returns a year or thirty six percent returns a year, why don't you have a hundred percent of the assets in that? Because you know you're leaving a lot on the table if you don't have it in, and that's when you get into the psychology of it. Oh, I don't have all my money in there because I think it might go down in the future. Well, then why are you investing in it if you think it's going to go down in the future? Are you hoping to jump shit just before the skateboard goes over the cliff? Like it's, you know, it's this, 
there's both mathematics and science, and then there's psychology and all this too. Of course, yeah. of course. And, and boy, are we reluctant to sell a loser of a stock, aren't we? I mean, I've got a couple in my portfolio that are still in the red, and I'm just like, Ugh, you know. And it, and look, I mean, rationally, the market's done what the market's done. I should actually, right as we're done here, I should I should log on and sell those things, right? <laughs> oh yeah, you should so. always. Yeah, well, it depends on your tax situation too. They, they make uh, they make good uh, tax write-offs, but um, yeah. I, I heard someone. Just recently, saying that, that this is, I was speaking about somebody else, but they were still holding shares in Babcock and Brown, which were delisted ten years ago, right? So right. they're hoping someone will buy the shell and relist it. It's like, come on, man, just wow. just take that loss. <laughs> I've still got my hot copper shares well, from twenty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> they're up on the wall in a frame. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that driving the car over the edge thing, the Thelma and Louise strategy is, mm. you know, we're going to go out, but it's going to be in a blaze of glory. And maybe they jumped out before the car went over the edge. We Some never got to see will. what happened yeah. at the end of the yep. film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, then listen, let's not get caught. What are you talking about? Let's keep going. What do you mean? Go. You sure? Yeah. But I think you're you're right. I mean, you know, the approach that Tony teaches us on this show. Doug is one of, you know, we chase our 20% annualized return year in, year out, but it's low risk, low stress, one hour a day. Tony would rather go play golf than worry about what his shares are doing. It yep. doesn't matter if he doesn't look at his portfolio for a day or two or a week, you know, nothing majorly dramatic is usually going to happen except when a pandemic breaks out or something <laughs> like that, when he has enough warning that he should be paying more attention than he normally would. But <laughs> It's more of a lifestyle, uh, slow burn approach to investing rather than a, you know, a Thelma and Louise strategy. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Well, it's an approach which comes out of how it started. As a, you know, as a full time busy professional, I didn't have time. Uh, yeah, I think that 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 aligns really well. That aligns really well with our with our user base as well. Um, <laughs> I'm sort of uh, I'm sort of one of those people myself where I you know I'm busy two young kids yeah. I'm a CEO of a, of a tech business I actually don't check my own share side portfolio very often so it's it's kind of funny because I keep using my own account to sort of show off the product in various <laughs> meetings and whatnot and I'm always having to go back and actually set it up again to find out what I'm actually doing as an investor. <laughs> well, you should pull it up and show us before you go. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> All right. Well, I think um, I think we're all done, Doug. So uh, for our listeners who are using a spreadsheet and mm. would like to give share shite, share <laughs> starting to sound like Sean Connery, Mish Money Penny, <laughs> share shite, Doug. Uh, what, where should they start, Doug, if they want to give share shite a go? <laughs> uh, so just go to sharesite.com and you can sign up for free. Uh, you can use the free plan for as long as you like to get comfortable with the software. Um, if you are using a spreadsheet, you can upload that straight into the software. So if it's trades or if it's a spreadsheet of, of say, opening balances that you can get a hold of from a, from some other system, just whack that in from, say, 1 July and, and ShareSite will, will pick up the rest from there. Um, we also have broker integrations as well. So you can actually bring in your trading history from, from most, if not all, of the, of the major online brokers. Um, but yeah, we're just, you know, punching a few shares manually just to kind of get a feel for how the system works. Um, yeah, like I said, it's free. Uh, so, so give it a go. Excellent. Well, I will be putting our portfolio up there because uh, I'm sick to death of trying to 
keep it up to date in a spreadsheet and I completely screw it up and then Tony has to come in and fix it. It's a complete nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, we've seen some doozies. That we've seen some people trying to do DRPs in a spreadsheet and you get these waterfall things. Yeah. It's just it's a mess. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. All right. Yeah. Good. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Doug, for taking the time to talk us through that. And uh, I'll uh, talk to you offline about the, the secret um, yeah. dark share site. <laughs> yeah, please do. Thank you very much, Tony and Cameron. I, we really appreciate the, the time and uh, we look forward to, uh, to, to doing more with you guys. Good. Cool. Great. That was great. Good luck. Thanks, Doug. Okay. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. And Doug and his team at ShareSite have been generous enough to come up with a special plan for QAV subscribers. If you go to ShareSite.com slash QAV, you'll be able to sign up for their annual premium plan and save four months off the usual price. So if you're interested, check that out. ShareSite.com slash QAV. And as always, please don't take anything you hear on this podcast as financial advice that's right for you. We're not financial advisors and we don't understand your situation. So before you make any decisions, please see a financial advisor or your accountant.